Up next, we've got over an hour with the hottest thing in American distance running. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Grant Fisher, fresh off his 26-33 10,000 meters, joins the pod to talk about his breakout campaign. And if you love Grant, you probably love America. You probably love running. We've got you covered. Dropping today are red, white, and blue. They're actually navy blue, white, and red. Let's Run.com t-shirts. These are the softest shirts in the business. Check out the Let's Run.com store, shop.letsrun.com. Link in the show notes. Or you can take your love of running even further and join the Let's Run.com supporters club. Join today and use code CLUB25 and you can save 25% off. You do that and join for a year. We'll give you the Let's Run.com shirt for free. You get huge savings in running shoes, bonus podcast every week, exclusive Let's Run.com content at letsrun.com slash subscribe. And if you're not already, you need to be hydrating properly. Get electrolytes without the junk. Electrolytes without sugar, no artificial ingredients, no dodgy ingredients. This is gluten-friendly, paleo-keto-friendly. More importantly, it tastes great. It's called Drink Element. You can go to drinklmnt.com slash letsrun. Link in the show notes to get a free sample pack sent your way. That's six different flavors. I guarantee you'll love this stuff. You pay $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I personally will refund your $5. No one has ever taken me up on the $5 offer. Electrolytes without the junk, and they taste great. All right, here's Grant. Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. We are very pleased to be joined by Grant Fisher of the Bowman Track Club. Grant was a two-time footlocker champion as a high schooler in Michigan. He was an NCAA champion as a collegiate at Stanford. Last year, he was a U.S. Olympian in the 5,000 and 10,000 meters, finishing ninth in the 5K and fifth in the 10K in Tokyo. And most recently, Grant has broken two American records in the last month, running 1253-73 in Boston on February 12th to take eight seconds off the indoor 5,000-meter record. And then on Sunday at the 10 in California, he ran 26-33-84 to take 11 seconds off the 10,000-meter American record. Grant, thank you for joining us today on the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Reading off those accomplishments, 1253, 2633, do those times, do they start sounding like, oh, those are at my actual PRs, or is it still kind of a shock to you? Still kind of a shock. I wouldn't say, like, I think of myself as a sub-13, sub-27 guy uh, yet. Uh, Maybe it'll sink in more, but, I mean, those times are things that I dreamed about getting under when I was you know, coming out of college, I thought, man, if I could get under 13 minutes, like that would be incredible at some point in my career. Um, honestly, I wasn't really thinking about the 10K when I came out of college. So uh, that didn't really cross my mind. But 5K, I was like, you know, if, if I can break 13, that'll be otherworldly. So kind of kind of crazy to wrap your mind around. I, I didn't think these things would happen as early as they have in my career. Um, you, you never know what the future holds. But uh, yeah, man, it's a good feeling. But Kind of, kind of hard to wrap your head around, even like being the person that's done it. I know on your own podcast, you mentioned that you've been targeting that 5K in Boston since I think maybe November or so. Uh, so on January 1st, 2022, did you have goals for the year in terms of time? And what were they? Yeah, so um, I, what I mentioned in the podcast, I actually um, left out the second half of that conversation I had with Jerry back in uh, November. Um, it was a two-part conversation. Uh, essentially, we, we had just finished a workout and Jerry had liked what he what he saw in the workout. And um, he came up to me and we were here, we were mapping out the the front half of the season for 2022. And he said, Look, I I think we have two two avenues we can do indoor season. Um, we can 
sharpen up pretty well, do USAs and then um, try to make the world team and, and do world indoors. Or I think, I think you're in a really good spot and I think you have an opportunity to go after the American record in the 5k indoors um, in Boston. And then uh, after that, I think you have an opportunity to go after the 10k record outdoor um, at this sound running meet in early March. Um, and he was like, it's entirely up to you, which Avenue you decide. Um, but he viewed the two, the two routes as mutually exclusive. Um, the, the fitness that you needed for the record attempt route is different than the fitness you need for the, uh, USA's and world indoor route and the timing made it very difficult to do both. So, um, he just said, think about it. Let me know what excites you more. Um, and essentially my answer was if I'm in shape to attack the records then that's what I want to do. Um, you never know when you're going to be in that type of shape again. And, um, I would, I would be more excited about going after those things than, uh, than indoor USAs, which, which is unfortunate, but, uh, um, that, that was the conversation. So yes, we, we had been targeting both of those records for a few months. Can you explain to us, like, what is the difference between, record chasing fitness and championship racing fitness. Is it just you're doing more sharpening and more speed workouts or is it more to it than that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the general idea. Um, you, you, you aren't doing as much, uh, long strength, you know, if, if I were to have done indoor USAs and then hopefully worlds, um, I would have been doing a three K, which is a little bit different, uh, than what you need to be able to run a fast 10, um, as far as workouts and stuff. So, um, the workouts are a little different. I, we would have done a lot more sharpening up and potentially quite a bit more racing, uh, on the front end to get used to being on the indoor track, uh, you know, working through a field, stuff like that. So I probably would have run like a 15, uh, maybe at the end of January, we were talking about, um, potentially in Boston, I would have run a mile or a 15 there again. Uh, and then indoor USAs like two weeks later, uh, in a three K. So, the season itself would have been put together completely differently. Um, potentially our altitude camp would have been put together differently as well. Um, and yeah, it was kind of a one or the other thing. Um, yeah. The question I have though is why was this a secret? Because <laughs> I mean, we've been talking on this podcast for quite some time and John and I are going to world indoors next week. We're excited. And I'm like, if people are banging their heads against the wall, how do we make this sport more popular? And I'm like, the reason why it's not popular is most of the time we're watching practice. We're watching meets that don't really mean anything. So we were kind of critical when you guys didn't do a U.S. indoors. But I said, hey, guys, it's a get-out-of-jail card if they're going for the American record. And so, I mean, you've gotten out of jail. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> but what I, I didn't understand was, like, why wasn't it promoted as that? I mean, it was literally Friday. We're recording our bonus supporters-only podcast and we're debating what's going to happen here. And I'm thinking, why are these guys doing this? And I'm like, it's got to be the American record. And then John finds pacing.wavelight.com or something, some where they had the pacing lights, and it said 2644. And that's when I had the epiphany, by the way, and predicted that you would destroy the record as you did. But I was like, oh, my God, they're going for the record. They're going to get it. But why? It just seemed from a basic PR standpoint, did you not want the pressure? Like, why was it a secret? Yeah, valid points uh, for sure. Um, you know, leading up to the race, the we really didn't decide. Going back to you, either do USA's route or um, uh, record chasing route. We decided that kind of end of January, um, and so it, it definitely could have been promoted then. Like, hey, these are the races I'm going to do um, because we did know it's on us. Because um, I do feel like I, I agree with you. The sport is hard to follow when schedules are very last minute, um, and not announced in the future, uh, or, or for the future. Um, the American record piece, especially at the 10 K, um, we didn't know for sure that that was going to be an American record attempt because pacers were a massive problem, uh, leading up to the race. Uh, the original goal was to have, um, some pacers come over from East Africa, um, and pay them to pace this race through seven or eight K. Um, last minute that kind of fell through because of visa issues with people coming over. Um, and even two days before the race, I didn't know who our rabbits were going to be. Um, 
We didn't know that Woody was going to for sure pace. We didn't know that JT was for sure going to pace. Um, I found out the night before that Ollie was going to help pace. Um, so those were last minute things that kind of came together to solidify it as an American record attempt. Um, again, I agree with you that it could have been announced. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the the self or I guess the promotional type to, to be that person, but I think somebody along the chain, I absolutely could have, uh, could have promoted it a bit more, uh, as, as what it was, which it was an American record attempt. So valid complaints. I, I hear you. I have a question about Woody pacemaking because yeah. it's not often you can get the defending us 10,000 meter champion to pace an American record attempt was like, why was he pacing this race and not racing? Was it, he wasn't quite as fit as you guys, or was it, he just owed Mo from 2019 when he helped get him under 13 minutes? What was the reason here? Yeah. So, um, the rationale there was actually, um, Jerry really wanted Woody to race and Woody really wanted to pace, um, which is kind of the opposite of what you would expect. Um, Woody, Woody's in very good shape as you saw. I mean, he took us very deep into that race. Um, he's in a, a great, he's at a great point. But he really wanted to run um, his rationale was, hey, when I get into these championship 10Ks, um, at some point the race is going to wind up and they're going to run 64 flats. And I need to practice that pace and be ready for it. I, he thought he would rather run 7K or 8K at 64 points than run 10K at 65, 66. And for a long time, Jerry did not agree with that and really wanted him to race and be in the field racing, but, uh, eventually Woody, Woody won out, which was great for me and Mo. Um, cause I mean, how can you ask for a better pacer than, you know, a sub 13 guy defending us champ? It doesn't get much better. Do any of those paces that you guys had on Sunday, do they get paid? Um, I don't believe so. Um, there was a, a very significant fund, that was going to be given to, uh, I, I, I don't know who we were going to get, but someone from East Africa was going to come over and pace. And uh, it was a, a very significant amount of money. Um, so I don't know what was done with that money because <laughs> uh, I think it was earmarked for the pace. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if people were paid for the pace. <laughs> but I... I I kind of have a personal tradition. Like if I have a good race and someone paces, I, I get them a pair of uh, Jordans. So Woody's got a pair of Jordans coming. Uh, I now owe JT two pairs of Jordans. Um, I, I, I'd i like to get Ollie a pair of Jordans, but I don't think he can wear them as, as an on athlete. So maybe I'll get him something else. But uh, yeah. Woody, if you're listening, just listen to Wednesday's podcast. I told you what Grant should get you. I mean, doesn't you get, don't you get a big bonus from Nike and then that factors in for the next three or four years of your contract. So you're going to be making a lot of money, right? Because of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think I'm going to get Woody something uh, a little more because yeah, this is probably my biggest payday uh, from a race I've had so far. So I I mean, it wouldn't have been possible without those guys. So I'd like to, you know, say thank you, maybe in a monetary way. (laughs) Well, that was great. And it's interesting that Jerry wanted him to race, you know, and not pace because when, I mean, with me, one of the th- questions I was having is why didn't Jerry make Courtney Fryrick's rabbit the women's race? We would have had two American records, but I guess it was the same mindset. He wanted her to race, but I'm like, why does she need a 10 K time? She should have done what Woody did. So I, I, I mean, it's, it's great that I, I think it's a great story about, you know, you guys are teammates and like each other, even though you're competitors. And it's just glad it worked out for everybody, except for Jerry. I guess he's upset, right? Yeah, yeah. We we <laughs> we we like to trade off, like, and help each other out. Uh, you know, th- there'll be a time where I'm probably going to be rabbiting and helping guys along to good times. Um, so it's a it's a nice system you have, and you know, you need really really good athletes to to rabbit as far as we need uh, for these races. You know, having having pacers through like seven K is, is so, so valuable. And like you said, Elise had it way harder than us, uh, you know, on her own for the last seven K is it's a massive, massive ask. And that just weighs, weighs on an athlete a lot more than just sitting in a pack like we were able to do. So, um, 
yeah, we're, we're lucky to have those guys. Was there a game plan for like, did you know exactly how far he was going to make it? Or was he just going to go until he couldn't run that pace? And then once he went off, it looked like you guys picked up the pace a little bit. Was that kind of a conscious decision? Like we've got to go because the natural tendency is to, is to back off at that point. Yeah. So, um, the race plan was essentially that, um, Ollie was going to lead us out coming, coming back from the 15 and he was going to take us about 2k. Um, and then JT was going to take over and he was going to take us, uh, either to somewhere between 3k and 5k. Um, and then after that, Sam Atkin was going to take the lead and he was going to lead for 2k. And then he was going to tuck back in and, uh, you know, continue with the race. Uh, whereas the other guys were, were pure rabbits and were dropping out. Um, and then when Sam was done, Woody was going to take over and try to get to seven or eight K. Um, so we had windows of how far we thought everybody was going to go. Uh, but I, you never know until the day. Um, and then once the last pacer stepped off Woody, um, Mo was kind of naturally in the lead at that point. So, um, the plan was once the pacers stepped off that, Mo and I were going to trade off. Um, we didn't have a set plan on, you know, you're going to lead 800 and then I'll lead an 800 and, and then switch off. It was kind of, we'll feel it out based on how everybody or the two of us felt. So he led for a while and then uh, I, I was behind him and I, I just kind of yelled up to him like I can help. And uh, so he stepped to the side and I took over and helped out for a bit too. Um, and it was a, it was a conscious squeeze um, to, to be honest, I I wanted the pace lights a little slower than what they actually were and the pace a little slower. Um, leading into the race, Jerry wanted or thought we could do, he wanted to set the lights at exactly 2644 pace. Um, I kind of wanted them a little slower uh, to come through the, the 5K more like at 1325 to 1330 and then squeeze off of that. I thought that would be, be a, a safer option. Um, and it is more accurate to, to how a race is actually run. Um, because I didn't anticipate breaking the record by as much as we did. Um, so ultimately it seems like Jerry's call was correct in, in setting the lights exactly to the pace. Um, and I think you saw with Elise's race, it it was a, a decent visual cue to know exactly where the record was, uh, relative to yourself while you're on the track. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of the race plan. Can you take us through your mindset in the race? Was it really exciting? Was there some point in the race where you're thinking, wow, we're going to do this. I'm going to be the American record holder. Like, tell me how you were feeling. The rabbits are about to drop off, et cetera. And then all, all the way through the end of the race, even in that last lap. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when we were sitting on the lights, I, you know, I had, I had kind of watched Elisa's race out the corner of my eye as I was doing strides and stuff. And, um, she was ahead of the lights by a bit and then the lights came back to her. So, um, I was cognizant of, you know, not getting ahead of myself, um, and just being on the lights. And then, uh, I knew once the rabbit stepped off that it was kind of go time. Uh, that was kind of a, a mental switch, like, okay, this is where the race starts to really, really hurt. And, um, we need to engage quite a bit and Mo and I need to work together over this final bit. If we're going to try to run fast. Um, when Mo took the lead, he, he squeezed those laps a little bit and then I couldn't see the lights anymore. So I knew we were ahead of them, but I had no clue how far ahead of them we were. Um, so it was kind of a confidence boost and honestly kind of nice to not have the lights in your sight, um, over that last little bit, because I didn't really want that extra thing to look at. I I just wanted to run hard and, you know, try to squeeze it as best as I could based on how I was feeling and not have the lights kind of dictate that in your back of your mind. Um, so most squeezed a bit and we ran, I heard some 63s in there. I heard a 62 in there and I was like, all right, we're, we're under pace now. Um, if we can just hold this without even factoring a kick, if we can just hold this, um, I'm going to be able to get this record. Um, and, uh, yeah, I I was hurting pretty bad, um, huffing and puffing. I think I clipped Mo at one point. You know, sometimes I have a tendency when I'm tired to kind of run up on guys, so clip Mo. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, at one point I felt like it was my turn to lead, um, and so yeah, I, I gestured to Mo that 
I could help out and went to the front and, you know, I, I was just thinking, just push, push. Like every time you kind of round a corner, you have a tendency to kind of ease off the gas a little bit. That's like the hardest to keep honest is like that, that, or the kick, like the race often lags there. So I was conscious of trying to squeeze and yeah, got, got things moving pretty nicely. And then going into that last lap, man, that the last lap felt like it took three minutes. Um, you know, you're already giving it everything you can. And Mo went flying by me on the backstretch, uh, with just such, such pace and acceleration, um, relative to how quick I was moving at the time. And, uh, I kind of tensed up at first, you know, I, I was tired, you know, you're not thinking straight. Um, you kind of have a tendency to muscle it, uh, when things like that happen. So I, I felt myself tense up and then, you know, realized like, okay, I, I need to relax and I need to cycle through my own gears, um, and build this thing up as quick as, uh, as I can. And, and get to that finish line. And, um, yeah, found myself building some momentum on the, on the, the back corner and, uh, kind of slingshotted off that corner. And, you know, at that point, you're not thinking you're just driving as hard as you can and giving it everything. And I could feel myself kind of inching closer and closer to Mo. Um, and, uh, yeah, just drove all the way to the finish. So, um, yeah, kind of a, a lot of thoughts and emotions going through your head on that last lap. Like I, I went from pretty much thinking I, I've lost this race, um, to I've got I, I think I might be able to get up to him. Um, and at that point, you're not thinking about time. Um, I was just thinking about racing. Well, it was a heck of a race. Really, really fun last lap. It's always fun when the records are broken and you know the outcomes in doubt to the final meters. So can you tell me what happens after the race? How long are you in drug testing for? I'm always curious how long it takes people to like produce a sample. And then how did you celebrate afterwards? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I finished up the race, you know, just you, you know, give your teammates some high fives and hugs, you know, everyone's elated. Um, it was a, a great race for me and Mo. We, we did have a bit of a mixed bag on the team as far as, um, how people felt about their own performances, but, um, it, it was cool. I feel like we do a good job of celebrating, um, other people's successes. And so, uh, it, like Evan, for example, who had an unfortunate fall in the race and was really bummed with his own race. Um, you know, he was one of the first guys to come over and congratulate me and Mo. Um, so, so that part was really cool. Uh, talked to, well, we did a bunch of interviews and stuff. Jerry was mad at us cause we didn't cool down for like an hour. Um, cause we were talking to people and then, uh, they shut off all the lights at the stadium. And so we cooled down back and forth in the parking lot about hundred meters back and forth, uh, for 15 minutes because the drug testers needed to keep us in their sight. Um, and since all the lights were off, like you couldn't go on the street or something. Uh, so back and forth. And then, uh, I probably finished up drug testing maybe like two hours after the race. So it was probably just past midnight. Um, and I was the only one I think that got drug tested. So I was kind of there get, getting all that stuff done. And, um, yeah, by the time it finished up, it was well past midnight and it was a Sunday night. So, uh, all the other guys had gotten food and kind of gone back to the hotel. Uh, so, uh, Shalane went and got me some in and out. And so we had some in and out, uh, went back to the hotel and everything was closed, you know, no, no bars, clubs, restaurants are open at 1230 PM on Sunday or 1230 AM on Sunday. So, um, chilled in the hotel with the guys just kind of sitting around, couldn't sleep. So uh, a bunch of us went to the beach and we're hanging at the beach at like 2 AM. Um, and then, uh, you know, back to the hotel. I, I don't think I fell asleep till like four. Um, and then, uh, yeah, up the next day, went for a short little shuffle. My body was wrecked and then spent the day at the beach before flying back uh, to Portland. Well, beat that's a pretty cool way to celebrate then on the beach. I think that's that's nice. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, peaceful at the beach. Since I'm the leader of the Grant Fisher bandwagon and I've always loved Jerry. I actually I, I get on Jerry for not racing you guys, but I met him at a it was either a World Cross or a World Indoor, so it was one of those races. Anyways, I'll be the one that asked this somewhat difficult question. Um, you know, I mean Drug testing is obviously a big part of the sport, and I mean, last year, obviously, the most prominent female member of your team tested positive and is out with a drug ban. 
And when people are talking about it, you know, some people insinuate that you're dirty, that the whole team is tainted, that we can't trust these times. Um, I mean, how does that make you feel? What do you What do you have to say to those people? Yeah, man. I mean, it's feel. Um, I, you know, I want to do this sport the right way. Um, I want to chase my goals the right way. And when I was a kid, I, I looked up to a lot of athletes, and it, it was important to me that they were doing things clean um, and not taking shortcuts and cheating. Um, and I don't think I could really look at myself the right way if I knew I was pushing the limits in that regard, um, whether whether in the form of outright cheating or kind of that gray area stuff. That's just not how I operate. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's people out there that that'll probably say like, you know, why should we believe this performance? Um, I, I mean, I, I would never do anything to compromise kind of the integrity of the sport. Um, that's not who I am. And that's not who I ever want to be. Um, unfortunately I have no like definitive proof that I can provide besides, you know, I, I comply with all the drug tests. I've never missed a test. I have no TUEs. I've never injected anything into myself and I never will. Um, I, I guess you'll have to take my word for it and talk to the people that, that know me and know my personality and know that I wouldn't do something like that. Um, you know, it's the ultimate disrespect to your competitors, to even your family and friends to, to cheat. You know, you, I had a lot of people support me through my career and I think doing something like that would, you know, how do you look at those people the same way? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I try to do the sport or I do do the sport as, as what I think is the right way. Um, and I, I would never do something to violate that. Um, unfortunately there's probably people out there that no matter what I say or do will always think that, you know, nobody can run X time without, uh, without drugs or cheating. Um, and you know, that, that is kind of sad to me. Um, but I, I, I hope that people look at me and are inspired rather than suspicious. Um, it's kind of a weird position to be in where you, you have a race and accomplish a massive dream of yours. Um, and people are asking you to, to defend yourself after, um, it, it, it's not a position I, I thought I would be in, but, uh, that is kind of the reality, I guess, uh, of the sport. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do hear the, the criticism and I mean, it doesn't feel good cause that's an attack on like your character and, um, just kind of who you are. And that's not something I would do. We appreciate the, uh, the response on that one. One thing, I want to ask you, I'm always interested go, what goes into these record performances. Like, can you tell me what your three best workouts of this segment was leading up to these two American records? Yeah, I, I, I can, uh, I can drop a little bit. Uh, technically they are Jerry's workouts. So I, I'm hesitant about always giving the specifics because if these workouts give me an edge, then I don't want to give that up. But, um, we had a, a really, really good workout. Um, our final prep, for the 10k about 10 days out we drove from flagstaff down to phoenix for it uh, and did it at grand canyon university uh it was 1ks and 2ks um all at 64 pace um total of 10k worth of work and that was a massive confidence boost because you know you run 10k pace for 10k and uh you know i, I thought man if i can do this you know, obviously it's going to be incredibly hard. I was getting rest after every K or every two K depending on the rep, but it was, it was a confidence boost. Like, okay, I can see how I could lock into this pace. I can see how, um, this can feel good. And so that was a big one. Um, before that, uh, we had a big one before the the five K in Boston. Um, it was, I think about four K worth of work. Um, we, our last rep was a mile. Um, and we closed it down in 402, um, just completely even no kick. Um, and it, it, it felt really good. That was also down in, uh, in Phoenix. So not at altitude, but, um, those were two really big ones for us and, uh, kind of massive confidence boost going into either of those races, just knowing, Hey, I can close the workout down in 402. Um, you know, if I can close this 5k down in 402, then 
you know, that, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, so yeah, it was, those, those were two big ones. Yeah. Well, you, you closed it even faster. You closed in what? 357 for the last 1600. So I uh, did yourself a little in the race. Yeah. Running start. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so both of the records you've broken this year were held by Galen Rupp. Has he reached out to you at all after these records? Have you had any conversations with him? <laughs> that, that's actually a funny question. Uh, so we just got back to Portland on Monday and on Tuesday I was um, jogging around Nike campus and um, we were actually going in the opposite direction of Galen. And um, as we passed, he said, Hey, congratulations, man. Um, great work this weekend. I was like, Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, that, that was the extent of the conversation because we were going different directions, but it was kind of a cool, just like um, not like passing of the torch, but just like, it was kind of a cool interaction to me. Um, you know, was, people have their own opinions about Galen, but um, you know, he, he had those two records and continues to have quite a few more American records and um, has a, has medals for the U S um, you can argue that he's one of the best American distance runners on the world stage that we've had in quite a while. So um, yeah, it, it was kind of cool. Growing up, how did you view Galen Rupp? Because he would have been one of the best guys in the sport when you were in high school and college He's also been, you know, connected with a notorious coach who's, you know, now banned from the sport for multiple reasons. And he was also part of the Bauman NOP rivalry, which was before your time. But like, how did you view Galen when you were in high school? Did you, did you believe in him? Yeah. I mean, in high school, um, I remember watching some of the things that he and Mo were doing and being like, man, that, that is wild. These guys are able to compete against, uh, you know, the, the might of East Africa, um, which, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, as I, I grew older, there was a lot more controversy, a lot more speculation. And, um, you know, it, you do think about those things, um, when you're in high school and and when I got into college a bit, um, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really, uh, identify with those guys as much in high school because I thought of myself as a miler. So I, I would watch more like Leo Manzano and like Centro um, and, and people like that. And those were the guys that I had more eyes on rather than, uh, Galen and Mo. Um, it wasn't until I got to college that I kind of stopped viewing myself as much of a miler and, uh, maybe more of a 5k guy. Hey, I don't know about that. I just, I just was watching, I think it was the 2017 pac 12, 1500 meter on YouTube. It, it was uploaded by someone Fisher. Was that your mom? I don't know who <laughs> put it on there relative yeah that was that's for my parents yeah you can hear them cheering in the back of that video it's, it's a little embarrassing <laughs> but yeah i guess hey I, I interviewed colin solomon last week and i asked him hey are you a 1500 or 5k guy of course he said 1500 prefontaine said the same thing so you know it, it's it's um i guess it's natural to, to say that yeah yeah it's it's the it's the glory event the 1500 the mile yeah everyone wants to be a miler and then you just find out you don't have the leg speed. So you, you're forced to move up uh, to these longer grinding events. Um, Central always says that to us. You're like, yeah, you guys, you guys would be milers if you could, <laughs> uh, which is partially true. Oh, I feel like it's true for everyone. I feel like old distance runners would be hundred meter runners. If any of us had the legs, oh, yeah. we're only running distance because we don't have enough fast switch muscles. Yeah. I, I hundred, hundred would kind of be pushing it for me too much, too much pressure. I mean, you make one mistake and it's over. Um, the mile, at least you, you get a few mistakes that you can cover 5k. You can make t- a decent amount of mistakes Ten, you can kind of recover all, all kinds of stuff, but hundred meters, man, like that, those guys are different. I mean, you can see why they're so like might be perceived as cocky, uh, because you just have to be so in your own head about, uh, you know, getting that start, right. Getting that drive, right. And then you just have to have next level self-belief because, you know, one slip up one inch, you give the guy next to you, it's over. Yeah, I mean, look at the greatest sprinter of all time. Bolt, he had the talent, but he also had the mentality. He always knew he was the best guy on the track. He was, yeah, that definitely had to play into why he was able to beat everyone every time out. Speaking of Miles, I coach a guy, he went to Notre Dame, and he's like, yeah, I told him I was talking to you. He's like, ask him if he was on the DMR this week at NCAs. Could he outkick Jared Nagusin this time? Oh, uh, maybe, man. Yeah, Jared, I think, I think, I mean, got me right at the line. Um, 
So I don't, I don't know. I mean, the college scene right now is kind of crazy on the men's side. Um, you know, everyone's throwing around stats and numbers, but I mean, you, you look at a guy like myself, like I, I guess I would have made the three K, but I wouldn't have made the five K even with my outdoor times. Um, and I only would have made the three K my senior year. Um, it's, it's kind of a different scene. So I don't know. I mean, if, if I were able to take my current self and put myself in college and come back for a seventh year, uh, I think I could put up a good fight, but maybe bringing my college self back. I, I don't think I would have stood much of a shot. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the, the college times are much faster. Part of that's because everyone got the extra year of eligibility, but a lot of people, you know, believe it's the shoes. I mean, I think in the roads, you'd have to be a fool to say that the marathon shoe is not pretty incredible and significantly faster than what, you know, the old flats, particularly it protects your legs. You're not just destroyed when you're getting to mile 22 and 23 of the marathon. But what about the spikes? I think some people think the spikes make a big deal. Other people say, no, you've raced in both the old spikes and the new spikes. How much of an impact do you think they have over 5,000 or 10,000? Yeah, that's actually an interesting question. I was, um, I was on a Zoom call with uh, the Nike product team that's working on the the new spikes for 2024. Um, I was speaking with them yesterday, and they had similar questions. And um, what what I think the biggest thing is with the spikes right now is that they just allow you to recover so quickly. Um, you're just not as beat up from these sessions. You know, we we have no trouble as a group being in spikes tr- twice a week, both workouts, whereas in the old spikes, you would be crazy to do that because it, it would just set your body back so far. You, your, you know, your Achilles would be sore. Your calves would be sore. Your body would be so beat up because there was so little to these spikes that um, you had to really pick and choose when you used them. And um, what I was describing to to the Nike Innovation Team was that these spikes have fundamentally changed the way we train. Um, we train harder. We do more volume in the spikes um, and we get a lot more quality and we recover faster. Um, that, that applies to when we're wearing the spikes on the track, when we're wearing vapor flies, um, the new streak fly, all of those things allow you to recover faster. And, and Jerry has realized that and we train much harder uh, from what I'm told than in the pre, uh, I guess, Zoomax foam era. Um, the, the spikes themselves are absurdly comfortable. Um, I would say that the benefit that you get much more from training uh, in my experience than actually in the race. Um, I think if you're able to train in all the, the newest footwear and then race in the old spikes, the, the, the difference between racing in the old spikes or new spikes wouldn't be as significant as you would think. I think most of the benefit, and I think it's a significant benefit comes from the training aspect. Um, they're, they're just comfortable and, you know, you can race and not be crippled the next day. Um, you know, you used to race in the old victory for a 5k and, you know, it felt your, like your calves were just full of micro tears. Like you're, you compromise training for several days after, um, you just don't have to deal with that now, which, which is, I, I think that contributes a lot to the, the increase in NCAA times you're seeing increases across the board, especially on the men's side, high school, college, you know, semi-pro, professional, you know, top-end professional, all, everybody is moving up as a group. The, the depth is moving together. And I, I think it's more of a, a training impact from the spikes than, than a racing impact. And do, do you wear the, the alpha fly or the vapor, vapor fly like on your tempo runs or do you just, what, what do you want to do for those? Yeah, I, I usually wear the Vaporfly for tempo type stuff. Um, most of our strength work, I'd say the whole team really likes the Vaporfly. Um, I, I think with the Alpha Fly, I, I know Kipchoge likes them, but it seems like most other people prefer the the Vaporfly. Um, Alpha Fly just feels a little little clunky to me, a um, little more unstable, um, a little heavier. Uh, I I prefer the Vaporfly, um, and I, I like the new Streak Fly too. That that new new shoe that just came out. That's kind of a nice uh, replacement of the streak. Um, but it's weird, you know, it's weird to think back and and feel a spike like the Matumbo and think this was marketed as the cushioned spike back in the day. Like how, 
like it feels like when you run in those things now, it feels like you're just slapping away at the track and it feels like you're going to break your feet because you're, I'm so used to having all this cushion now. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty interesting how much things have changed the last couple of years. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad you have the perspective on it. Um, looking ahead to the outdoor season. I mean, I know your race last weekend was outdoors, but I still think of us as being in the indoor season. What do you think is your best event? 5k or 10k? Um, that's a great question. Um, I don't really know. Uh, right now I, I, I intended to, to double for USA's. Um, the double has become significantly easier this year as far as, uh, you know, recovery standpoint, you get a, almost a month recovery. Um, so it makes the double significantly more feasible. Um, but I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll have to wait and see, uh, you know, the fitness required for a 10 K and five K isn't all that different, but, um, if you're pretty tuned up and sharpened up, um, sometimes you might like your chances in a five, um, a little more, but, um, I'm not really sure probably five or 10 though. And, uh, I'd be surprised if, if it were 15, <laughs> but probably five or 10. Yeah. One of the things Robert and I were talking on the podcast earlier this week about was the 10,000 meter final at the world championships in Eugene. I'm not sure if you've checked the schedule, but it's supposed to be run at 1 PM in the afternoon on July 17th, which has the potential to be very hot. Like, is that something you worried about that? Or are you like, oh, I'll be fine. Like, what are your thoughts on running a 10,000 10, meters at 1 PM in the afternoon? Um, you know, honestly, I, I kind of view that as a, a positive a little bit. Um, you know, I, in Tokyo, I, I thought I had a, a very good day in the heat. Um, that was a super hot day. It was in the nineties, even at 10 PM. And, uh, I think it was 97% humidity. So it was hot. Um, and I know Eugene can be very, very hot in the summer too. Um, I've had plenty of races there where you're burning up. So, um, you know, it, it kind of levels the, the playing field a little bit when it's super hot like that, because it's, it's a little more risky to just go out to the front and hammer. Um, I, I guess, I guess now I have some numbers to my name that might suggest that I can go to the front and hammer, but I don't think that would be something I'd want to do with, uh, like Chepta guy or Berega sitting on me. I don't think that'd be a very good idea. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I, I have pretty good foot speed and, um, I, I think, uh, my kick has gotten better than last year. And, uh, you know, I, last year I wasn't, I wasn't close to competing for a medal in, in the, in the 10, um, those top three were, were far and away from me, but, um, you know, maybe in a hot day where it's just a wind up at the end that, that might increase my chances a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that could be viewed as a, as a positive. Um, everyone has to run in the same conditions, obviously. So, um, yeah, might, uh, might increase the chance of someone like me to, to mix it up. Well, I was going to ask about that because the top three at the Olympics last year, I guess the top four you know, Barrega, Cheptegei, Jacob Kiplimo, Berhu Aragawi. Like, do you feel like you need to have hot conditions to level the playing field? Or do you feel like you're at that level? And even if it's like a normal, you know, good conditions race, you're, you're right there with them now. How do you view yourself compared to them? Yeah, you know, it's, it's changing uh, very rapidly how I view myself um, over the past month. Um, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not afraid in a race to, to mix it up with those guys. And I, I hope it didn't come across that way, but, um, I, I think, uh, you know, if, if Chepta guy is in a race where he can run 26, 11, um, and I, I think Chepta guy could have run quicker that day than he did even, um, you know, I don't think I'm running 26 flat with him from the front. Um, but in, you know, a 27 something race, um, you know, I, I think I can, maybe matches foot speed a little better. I, I think my chances increase. Um, I, I'd say like, yeah, if you were looking at it probabilistically, uh, a slower race generally benefits, uh, like American guys more, more so than not. Um, when, it, when it's super fast, kind of, we get buried. Um, I, I think I can weather the storm a lot better now. Um, I'm a lot stronger and, you know, with a, a 26, 30 something to my name, um, I think, uh, I'll maybe get a little more respect <laughs> from, from some of those guys, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'd say my perception of myself has, uh, changed a lot and, 
you know, I'm certainly not afraid to mix it up and, you know, maybe go at some guys with some pace this year and not just be a passenger. So your times are obviously a lot better this year than last year, but do you feel like, I mean, how much have you improved since last year? I mean, I'm assuming you think you've improved, but like when you get fifth in the Olympics, what do you think you could have done in a time trial last year? You know, peak fitness, do you think? Yeah. You, you mean for the 10 K? Oh, for both, or like either, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, trying yeah, to figure okay. out how much do you think you've improved from some sort of your peak fitness? Was your peak fitness last year right around Tokyo to now? Um, yeah, I, I'd say I think I, I peaked pretty well for Tokyo last year. And I think in a a fully controlled, rabbited, you know, pace light situation like we had uh, this past weekend, um, I think I could have run somewhere around 27 flat. But at that time, I was in much better uh, championship racing shape than I was in time trial shape. Um, I guess to, to maybe a casual listener that might seem like a very minute difference, but, um, you know, the ability to, to change gears and sharpen up and, and really hammer that last mile or, or lap is, is a slightly different fitness than, you know, running 64 points the whole way. Um, so I'd say I was in better championship racing shape than, than I was in time trial shape. Uh, I think I could have probably run somewhere around 27 flat and, maybe a touch under 13 flat, um, at that time. But I, I really don't like putting, putting numbers on things you haven't run yet. So, um, I'd hesitate, but I, I definitely feel like I'm in a much better place fitness wise this year than I was last year. Um, and so from here on out, it's an entirely possible and probably actually very probable that my fastest times of the year have already been run because, most of these races from here on out will be more championship style um, and, and, you know, a little more tactical. Don't sell yourself short. Worlds are in July, buddy. So you can peak for worlds and then do a chapter guide to like seven weeks later, go for, you know, American record attempt or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, very, very possible. Um, yeah. World championships are number one on the radar. And then uh, if good opportunities presents itself, then, uh, it'd be fun to, to maybe give it, give another go at, at some fast times. How much do you think that your calf injury, you got hurt right in the 10 K a little bit impacted the five K. Cause when I'm looking at it, it looks to me like the five K was the weaker event, just mainly because the top Ethiopians weren't there. And Kenya really yeah. doesn't, hasn't had very many people recently. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the five K being second, you know, the, the, the way that, that Ethiopia selects their team, uh, it, it did make the 5k, uh, a less, less deep field than the 10. Um, and if you look at the field straight through, yeah, it was, it was quite a bit less deep than, than the 10k. Um, but yeah, I, it, I'll, I'll walk you through the timeline of my calf, but so race the 10k, um, we had, I think three, three off days before the first round of the five. Um, and I was completely wrecked during those, those three days. Um, body was heavy. I was fatigued. felt like absolute garbage running around. Um, but wasn't injured per se at that point. Um, I tweaked my calf warming up for the 5k prelim, um, and immediately stopped the warm up. got treatment on the calf. Uh, our PT was there, Colleen, and she did like some scraping and cupping on the calf, like as much as you could do in that 20 minutes I had before we were called to, to, to first call to get into the, the stadium. And, um, so didn't do any strides, didn't do any more drills, just hobbled over to the track. And Jerry did not want me to race that, uh, that prelim, um, because my calf was pretty messed up. Um, yeah, didn't do any strides before the race really just did the race. And thankfully I was in the second heat and, um, I knew what the first heat did. So I could just do as little as I could basically. and. Uh, and still qualify qualified through didn't couldn't run a step in between the prelim and the final um guy was getting treatment every day like acupuncture dry needling cupping scraping everything was thrown at it i had the little like stim devices on my calf all the time like making them them twitch hoping to to try to get some blood flow um and then yeah ran ran the five final 
Um, it actually felt okay in the warm up. Um, I certainly felt it, but thankfully didn't like completely tear it in the race. Um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, looking back, it's interesting to think like, man, what if I had just not done the 10 and just been completely fresh for the five, you know, how could I have done, um, it's an interesting question. Uh, I, I don't really know. I think I could have finished higher than I did. Um, but yeah, the, the calf hindered me, but I was also super fatigued from that 10 K. Um, you know, guys like, like Mo, Mo bounced back a lot quicker from that 10 K than I did. I think it's just a, a matter of being a little older, having more miles in your legs, being used to doing doubles a lot more, but, um, I was pretty fried for a while. Um, yeah. Well, I hadn't thought about it, Grant. Earlier in the week, I retroactively made Josette Norris an Olympian, even though she didn't run the 1500 at the trials, because I told Jonathan she would have made it if she'd run the trials. John, are you going to get mad if I retroactively make Grant the Olympic 5000 meter medalist, at least, because he's beaten on <laughs> Mohamed twice in a row, John. So Mo and Polchalimo might get mad about uh, that. Robert. I don't want to anger them. <laughs> yes, they might come on the podcast, too. All right. So. I have a couple questions about Jerry. Like he's not someone we really get to hear from in the public. So maybe yeah. you might be able to lend some insight to this. One of the things that happens with a lot of these Bowman athletes, and I know you've spoken about this number of times, is that the first year or two can be really rough. You just he doesn't really make exceptions and sort of scale back the workouts. He just sort of throws you in, just hang on till you get dropped with some of these guys. And then eventually you build up the strength after a couple of years of the system, you're hanging on, you start getting results. Like, has he explained why he does that? Why he doesn't baby anyone? Uh, because there are other coaches who might be sort of like, okay, we'll give you a scale bat workout. We'll adjust you. Does his, does he say why he does that for you guys? Um, yeah, I guess you could boil down the philosophy. If you could call it that, uh, to there is a, a level that, Jerry believes you need to train at to be world-class and uh, he would prefer that you just train at that level as much as you can rather than, uh, you know, going maybe a a little slower than that level, that, that pace. And uh, I guess easing your way into it. Um, It sounds a little crazy when I say it like that, but um, yeah, essentially it's, if you want to, if you want to be the best, you have to hang with the best is his philosophy. And uh you know, train with the top end of the group and do it as long as you can. And you're probably going to fall apart in that first year, which I did. Most people do. Um, I was pretty much cooked by the time June rolled around my first year. Um, I got hurt my first camp. I, I did not finish an altitude workout with the group until my uh, fourth camp. Uh, every every workout before that at altitude, I would get dropped or, yeah, couldn't finish. Um, so it's a steep learning curve. Um, I you know I, in the moment I I would have uh, probably appreciated a little more gentle approach, uh, maybe a little more sympathy. But um, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, maybe maybe there's something to it. Like it's, things have kind of worked out all right since then. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'd say. That that is kind of the the Jerry philosophy. It's it's pretty, um, it's pretty much like trial by fire. Um, very very old school, um, like high expectations approach to your athletes. And did you know that when you signed with Bauman, like this is what it's going to be like, or was it a rude awakening your first altitude trip and camp with the team? <laughs> um, no, I knew that. Um, I was well aware it was it was advertised, um, and and it it it. Uh, yeah, I think one of my early conversations with Jerry, he was like, just so you know, we trained really, really hard. And, uh, you know, you're probably going to be tired a lot. And I didn't have much injury history in college. And he was like, at some point, you're probably going to get hurt. And uh, I want you, if you join this group, to be ready for that. And um, if that's not something that you would like uh, to be kind of riding that line as far as like injury and non-injury, then you should probably go somewhere else. Um, I remember my very first workout with the group. Uh, I just moved to Portland and the only people that were there at the time were Ryan Hill and Evan Jager um, because they were coming back from injuries and everyone else was kind of coming back from Doha because it was a, a pretty late year. 
and we were doing a workout at Nike and, um, Alistair Craig was there with me. Um, this was before he, he became a Puma coach. And, uh, my very first workout, he comes up to me and he goes, um, you, you ready for this one? And I'm like, I I guess we're about to find out. And he says, you know, Jerry doesn't think the workout was hard enough unless one of his little ducklings doesn't finish. And I look, I, I look around and I, I look at myself, I look at Evan Jager and Ryan Hill and I'm like, (laughs) Oh shit, I think I'm the little duckling. (laughs) Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, those guys whipped me into shape. Um, it was certainly hard, uh, at the beginning, but that, that is kind of the, the way, um, it's, I I'd say it's, it's kind of rare to have workouts where everybody finishes and like is high-fiving at the end, uh, because usually they're, they're pretty hard. Um, they're definitely a step up from anything I was used to. And my first year I'd work out and go back to my apartment and just lay on the ground for like two hours. Like I I couldn't even get into bed. It was like, you're just so fried. (laughs) Yeah. It's a brutal first year. I'm curious about your mileage. I mean, our our homepage editor, Steve Soprano, is like, ask him how he's improved so much. He's like, you know, Steve ran like, I'm going to make up the time, like 15, 10 as a sophomore in college and never broke 15. And I said, Steve, I don't want to break it to you, but I imagine he wasn't training all that much. I mean, I know your high school coach had a real long-term approach with things. I think Milt kind of did the same thing at Stanford. So can you tell us maybe what was your sort of, you know, your base, when you're in the base phase and running high mileage, what was your mileage like senior year of high school, senior year of college and now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so high school, yeah, I was relatively low mileage, um, especially because I I played soccer, um, alongside running through, through most of my high school days. Um, by my senior year of high school, I was probably running about 50 miles a week. Um, but a a decent amount of that was good quality. Um, we would work out on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Um, so we'd work out three times a week, kind of smaller sessions. Um, so you get a, a a large percentage of quality as as a function of your total, total mileage. When you do that, um, in, in college, Milt also took a very conservative, um, long-term approach. Sometimes a, um, like in the moment of frustratingly conservative approach, because, you know, there were times when I was getting out kicked by, by tents and I knew they were training harder than me, uh, objectively. Um, so I was kind of like, man, come on, like, <laughs> just give me a little more. Um, but in college I came in and was probably running 60 miles a week. By the time I was a senior, I was probably running about 75 miles a week. Um, and then going to Jerry's system, um, you know, I, I had trained with a long-term approach throughout my career. And I was kind of like, look, th- this is, this is the time to go all in. Like there's, there's no next level beyond pro to prepare for. So, um, the very first year I got, I got the advice from Ryan, um, Ryan Hill that, uh, basically he was like, keep your mileage the same from college. Do not worry about increasing it because you're going to be enough. So just try to survive workouts. Don't make added mileage. Um, so yeah, I, I kept my mileage probably at like 75, um, to 80 my first year. Um, last year, my mileage was probably more like 85 to 90. This year I was running 90, 95, almost a hundred miles a week. Uh, and those are, those are Jerry miles. So probably a little more than that. Um, Jerry miles are kind of an underestimation of true mileage. So um, my mileage has certainly gone up. Um, and, and I think that's a, a sizable factor in, in improvement. Um, one interesting thing about Jerry is that Jerry's kind of a con- control freak, uh, as you probably saw with the meat being moved uh, a day because of wind. Um, but with with mileage, he leaves it up to the athlete. Um, we all choose our own mileage. He doesn't tell us essentially what to hit. Um, doesn't tell us what to do on easy days. That's kind of all up to the athlete. Um, so you have quite a bit of autonomy to to tune things as you see fit um, and make kind of day of decisions to double or not double or or to run. 95 miles that week and and 90 another week. Um, obviously he'll get mad at you if, if I started running like 60 miles a week and he'd step in, but, um, 
we're, we're pretty incentivized to, to train, uh, as smartly and hard, hard as possible. Um, I guess Jerry's general philosophy with mileage is do as much mileage as you can without getting hurt and still being able to do the workouts. Um, that, that'd be a good way to summarize it. Gotcha. Mentioning, speaking of Jerry kind of being a control freak, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is racing schedules because I've lost track of the number about of Bowman athletes I've interviewed. I say, Oh, what's, you know, what race are you doing next or whatever? And it's just, Oh, I'll talk to my coach and see what he decides. So like, I have to talk to Jerry about this. He's like, but you did say earlier that he gave you the option of these two parts um, going into this season. But we've also seen in the past, we've had Bowman athletes, won't, they'll skip an entire Diamond League season just to peak for Worlds. So like, how much control do you and other Bowman athletes have over your racing schedule? Yeah, um, some. <laughs> I'd say I, I hold the, the smaller percentage of uh, total control. Um, that that conversation where Jerry gave me those two paths to to choose to walk, um, that was a, a rare conversation. I, I haven't heard of many times he's given uh, that much input and freedom. Um, you know, I, I think I think he cares a lot about the athlete being excited for what what races they're doing, but he also, you know, is always thinking about the major championships and how the best way to get to those are. Um, and, and I know that that isn't great for viewers of the sport, um, or, or for like domestic meets because Jerry is so picky about the meet and the race fitting into the training cycle so perfectly. Um, and the, the conditions being so perfect and the people in the race being, you know, on the rabbits and, and the rabbiting being right that, our decisions on racing often happen incredibly last minute. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I apologize for that, but, uh, some of that is out of my hands. Like I said, I, I'd say I, I carry the minority share of, uh, race decision control. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, personally, I don't, I don't carry too much problem with that as, as an athlete, I prefer to just have my coach be the coach. And I like to, you know, give, give him all the trust. He, he's coached great athletes in the past and gotten them to major championships in good places. Um, you know, to say, give the orders and I'll be a good soldier. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I can see and understand that that is frustrating <laughs> as a fan. Um, I would prefer, I, I, I guess this is like going big picture. Uh, I think having more of central planning in our sport would be great like having more meets that people were incentivized to go to that force people to race a bit more. Um, I think that'd be great. Um, but right now the incentives are to run fast and to compete at major championships. And so that is how our season is based. Uh, and Jerry builds our season around those, those targets. I have one other question relating to Bauman. Can you tell me where is Matthew Centrowitz? I see him at the Milrose games and then he's just been basically off the radar. Like, is he healthy? Is he going to be racing anytime soon? What's up with Centro? Excellent question. Particularly because he said he wanted to have, he said in the fall, I realized I have my best years when I have a big indoor season and he's had no indoor season. Yeah, that, that is, yeah, that, that sounds like something you would say. Um, yeah, he is in Beaverton right now. Um, I'm actually going to watch the new Batman with him tonight with uh, a bunch of the guys. Um, I haven't seen him since, uh, since December, um, because that's when we all went, went home and then for Christmas and then went to altitude and he didn't come with us. Um, he, uh, he's been a little banged up. I think, um, I think he's trying to, I guess I won't speak for, for him, but, um, he's around and running currently. Um, I, I think, uh, a little bit of, you know, finding out what his, uh, next step wants to be. Um, as far as like event, uh, is he going to do the 15 or the five? Um, I think this injury, uh, you know, when you're at his age, you've accomplished the biggest thing possible in our sport. Um, I think there are certain things going through his mind on, you know, what is there left to do? Um, you know, what, what excites me about, you know, getting back to, to grinding and, you know, we've alluded to this a few times, but when you're in this group, you're, you're in Jerry's world. Um, 
you're you're at altitude when he says you're at altitude. Um, you're racing when it's said to race, and you get your break time when he says you're gonna be break time. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a it's a different lifestyle, especially when you uh, have uh, Centro's personality. I'd say uh, he, he's a bit more of an independent uh, guy. Last question, maybe I got to get out of here. My my son's daycare is ending <laughs> soon, but do you do you feel more expectations now? I mean, everybody wants to, med- to to win a medal, but do you feel like I better win a medal or it's a failure? Um, I mean, you know, the message boards, people immediately the race finishes. Jakob versus Fisher at five k. Who you got? And I'm like, hold on, people. Now let's, <laughs> you know, I was leading the bandwagon, but I don't want to. I, I just feel like sometimes in our sport, people forget there can only be one person that wins the race. So <laughs> and there's some really good people out there, but do you feel pressure or expectation now to medal? Um, yeah, you know, I, I was being tagged in some stuff on social media over the past few days. And I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves. Um, especially us track fans. I think oftentimes forget how many good athletes are out there. Um, you know, I ran a great time relative to us distance runners, but, um, I mean, it, you can't even name as however many East Africans there are that can do similar things to that. Um, how many people were were at the Olympics this past year that um, are incredible athletes? You know, you have Europeans too. You have Jakob, you have Moketeer, um, you have all these guys. And the amount of things that have to go right to get a medal, it, it's otherworldly. Um, you know, I, I think uh, what I my, my view of myself, my perception of myself and how I view myself relative to these top guys has changed. Um, and I, I, I want to get a medal. Um, but if it doesn't come this year, it's, it's not a failure. Um, this has been a, a breakout past 365 days for me. Um, the, the amount that I've changed as an athlete, um, accelerating onto the world stage, um, is something I didn't expect. So, um, no, I wouldn't say metal or bust. Uh, even if I felt that way, I wouldn't say it, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, think my, my chances in my head have increased. I, I think of myself that I can duke it out with these guys. Um, I, I feel like it's going to be harder for them to run away from me now. Um, I feel like I can kick much better now. Um, is that going to be enough to get a medal? We will see. Um, but I mean, I've got to make the U S team first. And after that, I need to make, make the final. Um, and then you have to have a, a, a once in a lifetime day in the final to, to compete with these guys. So, um, I think people, people, uh, tend to skip steps and I know, uh, it's cool to see people excited. Um, but, uh, there's a lot of good people out there and I, I think of myself as one of them now, but I wouldn't start counting places. Well, I think that is going to do it from us, Grant. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I think I'm definitely excited to see what you can do the rest of the season. It's going to be a big year for track in the United States with pre-classic 10 K trials, USA's world championships. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure we'll see you at some point at one of those meets, but yeah, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you guys. This is fun. Thanks for listening. Remember hit subscribe and your podcast player. And if you haven't tried drink element, you got to do it today. Link in the show notes, drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Free sample pack sent your way for $5 shipping. And if you want to take your running fandom to the next level, join the let'srun.com supporters club today. Join for a year. You'll get a free let'srun.com shirt. We got the new blue, white, and red shirts in stock. You can save up to 20% on running shoes. You get the bonus podcast every week, exclusive subscriber-only content private forum, message board features. It's a subscription that pays for itself. Let's run.com slash subscribe.